patience. Um, today, I'm not going to be doing a, a whole sermon. I'm going to be doing a, a brief uh, reflection on communion because we're doing communion today. And um, yes, I, I have done this particular one before, but I could literally preach it every week, so twice a year won't hurt anybody. Um, if you have a Bible, please open it to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 26. That is 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 26. And I believe we have the text on the screen because that's how advanced we're getting. All right. Hear the word of the Lord. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Please pray with me. God, I pray that you would be with your people, that, uh, that your word would not, just, would, would not just be information to us, but that you would use it for the purpose of transformation, that we would see more deeply into the sacrament of your table and that, that you would make us more restored in Christ's image now, in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, um, one of the great blessings of Netflix is that young people who missed The Office are now into it, and I can make references to it because I love that show. And there was one great scene, an all-time favorite, when Michael and Dwight are out on a sales call that went really poorly, and they're, they're like in their rental car talking about what went wrong. And this was back in the day, and, and I remember these, when, when navigation systems were brand new. You know, and they would come in a rental car, and you'd be like, ooh, the future's now, right? And, um, and so the, the, the navigation system says to them, turn right here. And Michael, get, you know, he hits the signal, and he's going to turn right. And Dwight's like, no, you, no, that's, that's not what it wants you to do. It wants you to merge right up on 305. And Michael's like, no, the, the machine said turn right. The machine knows. He's like, no, that's impossible. That's a lake. He says, the machine knows. And he drives the car directly into a lake, right? <laughs> we all love what a moron Michael Scott is. That's the entire charm of the character. But, you know, this, this I, the, what's funny about that is like, you know, you could plainly see this is the wrong direction to go, but following a guide that leads you wrong anyway. You know, we do that as well. One of the, the, the thing that we perhaps follow to our detriment, and it's great foolishness, and our culture tells us to do it all the time, is we follow our hearts. That is our emotions. And a lot of you are like, what? What do you mean that's wrong? I thought every movie, like every Disney movie, that is the moral of the story. Follow your heart. Don't listen to the traditions of the elders. Don't listen to like consensus of people who have thought about it. Listen, you're only your heart can tell you. You know, that was Yoda's advice. Don't trust your eyes, Luke. Reach out with your feelings. You know? Oh, no, that's Ben Kenobi. Sorry, blew that Star Wars reference. I'm going to get angry emails from nerds. What? Anyway. You know, uh, but constantly we are bombarded with this message. Your eyes can be wrong. Your culture can be wrong. History can be wrong. The morals you've been taught can be wrong. But you know what can never be wrong? Your heart, your feelings. 
That is the true North Star. Turn your brain off. Turn everything off. Shut it all out and listen to your heart. It's foolish. It's as foolish as listening to that navigation system telling you to, to drive a car directly into a lake when you can clearly see that is not the way to go. Now, this is a little confusing. Uh, I covered this last time, and some of you maybe didn't hear it, is the Bible talks about the heart a lot. Love the Lord with all your heart, soul, strength, and and so forth. But here's the issue with that. In the Bible, your heart is not your emotions. The, The ancients thought that the heart was the seed of the intellect and the thoughts, and your guts were where the emotions Sat. There are literally uh, verses in the Bible where it says, you know, John is saying, you know, you shut off your feelings to your brother. It literally is you shut your guts. That's that's the literalistic translation. But even then, we are never told to to rely on our own minds or our own hearts. We are told to do something quite the opposite, that we don't lean on our own understanding. There's a massive problem with trusting in your feelings, with letting your feelings be your true north. A lot of us think of our feelings as that way. Our heart is like, it's a compass that always points north. You know, know what it is? It's a weather vane. It, it blows wherever the wind tells it to. Your heart changes on a dime, doesn't it? Like, I have felt one way about myself America and everything in the morning, and then by lunchtime, I have a completely different point of view, sometimes because of what I ate for lunch, you know? It's like I was really hopeful for our country till I ate that roast beef sandwich, and now not so much. Now everything sucks, <laughs> right? It, like, like our hearts are constantly changing. It, they, they blow with the wind. It, it, and listening to something that is as easily changeable as your emotions is great foolishness. Where's your anchor? Also, your heart is often dead wrong. I have done, I have listened to my heart. I have followed that advice, and there are many times I have regretted it, and I'll give you three seconds to think of one for yourself. Wasn't too hard, was it? (laughs) Not only that, but even when people have certainty in their hearts, you know, they're doing what feels right. They're dead wrong. You ever heard the saying, the heart wants what the heart wants? Yeah, it looks like, like that's thrown out as a defense. Well, what, you know, I, the, nothing can gainsay what I feel. I knew this was right in my heart. The heart wants what the heart wants. You know who said that? That was Woody Allen. Talking about being in a relationship with his 15-year-old stepdaughter. The heart wants what the heart wants. Well, the heart was wrong dead wrong, okay? We cannot listen to our hearts. That is great foolishness. A a lot of the time, people make a mistake that when you struggle with the faith, it's actually in your intellect. That's where most people struggle, but your heart will always point you back to Jesus. The opposite's true. It's your feelings. Whenever I hear people talk about why they doubt the faith, it is never solid intellectual reasoning. It is always, I just feel like it is. I just feel like this isn't true. I feel like this is wrong. It's never based on actual, you know, rock-solid reasoning and evidence. In fact, the heart can struggle greatly while the intellect remains completely committed. We should not listen to our hearts. We need to preach to our hearts. 
Your heart is not your guide. Your heart is a student. Your heart needs to be discipled and shaped and trained by the gospel. When we look at verse 26, this is what Paul is saying. He says, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this wine, drink the cup, you do what? You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You proclaim it. You preach it. You are declaring what? The Lord's death. We know in the, in the book of 1 Corinthians when Paul talks about the death of Jesus, write down this fancy word, that's called a synecdoche. Eh? You're learning English. Synecdoche is a part for whole. Right? When he says the death, he, of course, means the entire gospel. When he says the cross, he means the, the, what Jesus did on the cross and also in the resurrection. Okay, So when he's saying you proclaim the Lord's death, he's saying you preach the gospel. Communion, one thing it means, it means many things, but one thing that it is, is it's a proclamation of the gospel. Now, to whom is it being proclaimed when you take it? Well, in one sense, we're proclaiming it to each other. We are saying we are the community of Christ, right? We all belong, communion. We're at table together. But you're mainly preaching the gospel to yourself. We don't need to listen to our hearts. We need to preach the gospel to our hearts. Only the gospel is going to train our hearts so that it stops telling us lies, so that it conforms to God's reality. Now, why do we need to preach the gospel to our hearts? Well, first of all, we need to hear that we're loved. Look at verses 23 and 24. It says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Where do we see in there that we are loved? Now, let me ask you, when, Jesus, when those words of Jesus, he breaks the bread and he says, this is me for you. Is that just for the people at the table? No, it's for, for anyone hearing this. Let me ask you, is there a better way to express love for someone than to give yourself for them? Is there anything more that you have to give than yourself? That's what Jesus is saying in communion. I am for you. I am doing this. And that, just think about what he was doing. He knew what was in store for him on that cross the next day, the agony, the hell that he would go through. And he says to his disciples, of which you and I are some, this is for you. I do this for you. We need to hear that we're loved. You know why? Because we forget. We feel unloved. We feel like maybe we have to go and earn God's love, and then maybe he'll think about loving us if we're extra good. That's the opposite. We need to hear the gospel. We need to hear that we're loved before we did, or did anything good or bad, that Jesus decided to lay down his life for you and for me. We also need to hear that we're in relationship with God through Jesus. Look with me at verse 25. It says, in the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it 
in remembrance of me. Now, that word covenant, it, it, it's, it's, it's a big word. It, it kind of is one of the key terms of the whole Bible, but think of it basically as Bible, Bible speak for relationship, family relationship. He's saying, I'm establishing a relationship with God for you in his blood. Now, why do we need to hear that? It's because we forget the gospel. We get gospel amnesia. We so often revert to what seems to be a default for humanity. I need to earn God's favor. If I'm going to be in with God, if God is going to look on me and say, you're, my, you're a child in whom I delight, then I need to earn it. Right? After all, that's, that's, that's the, the message that's hammered into every American kid's head is you live in a meritocracy. Whether or not that's true is debatable, <laughs> but that's what you're taught. You work hard, you earn it, and then you get the props, you get everything. It would make sense that something as monumental as relationship with God should depend on earning it. But just the opposite is true. Here, here's the problem. When we think that earning relationship with God is a thing, one, we either despair because we, we, we look at what God requires. We, we, when we truly see God's holiness and greatness, we're like, what can I possibly do to prove myself worthy? And, oh, yeah, I've got all this messed up stuff where I don't obey God. That doesn't look too good for me. So despair is one option. The second is, yeah, I could do that. <laughs> Done. Perfect holiness. Yeah. God for sure looks on my life and is so pleased. You know what that makes you? It makes you hopelessly self-righteous. Instead, we need to hear the gospel. Jesus doesn't say, this is the new covenant. This is relationship in your works. He says, it's in my blood. That is the gospel. That your relationship with God does not depend on your works, but on God's goodness and what Jesus did for us on the cross. We also need to hear, look in verse 26, we need to hear that Jesus isn't done. That is part of the gospel too. He says, as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death when? Until he comes. We need to remember that we're still in the middle of redemption. How was y'all's week? <laughs> My personal week was fine, but the news this week was brutal. I mean, another unarmed black man killed by police. And uh, we can't forget this 13-year-old kid unarmed, killed by police. And the fallout that's going to come from that. And oh yeah, the Chauvin trial, uh, apparently the, the verdict comes out tomorrow. Who feels great about that outcome and what, what the fallout's going to be from that? And oh yeah, we had a couple of mass shootings this week, didn't we? I mean, I'm sure I'm forgetting some things, but, but this... <laughs> you got to understand, like these are not isolated incidents, especially the police killings, right? Like, every time one of these things happen, we, we can't forget. Like, like, everything comes back of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor. And, oh, yeah, the thousands of incidents like that that didn't get recorded. 
that live on in many communities as a currently open wound that gets poked every time one of these things happens. There's not much hope in the news, is there? It can lead one directly to despair because I'm gonna give you a dose of reality. You can start all the hashtags of reform this and defund that you want. There is always gonna be stuff like this in a broken world. I'm not saying that we don't get out there. I'm not saying that we don't vote and we don't get active. That is the responsibility of the church. But what I am saying is the world is not perfectible. And if you're waiting for a time when we have solved all of these problems completely, you're going to wait forever. We cannot have our hope there. We need to hear the gospel that Jesus is not done redeeming. That there is a part two to the gospel. A second coming, a day when Christ's reign is completed, when God makes all things right. Don't listen to your heart. Preach to your heart. When despair is creeping on you, when your heart says there is no hope, when your heart says that you're worthless and unloved, when your heart says you better do better or God's not going to love you, don't listen to your heart. Preach the gospel to your heart. As we come to this table, that's exactly what I want us to do, is to remember all of what this means. And if you did not get, uh, if you did not get the um, communion wafers and uh, wine, they are at the back. Take a moment to go get those. And we will, we will take a moment of, of uh, silent reflection as we dwell and meditate on what Jesus did for us. Preach the gospel to your heart.